This week's podcast features speed in a couple of different forms. The first is where Nick DeSena gives us a quick look at Triumph's new for 22 Speed Twin. This retro-styled machine falls neatly between the standard Bonnevilles and the high-performance Thruxton, so it's a great performing urban rider as well as an excellent canyon carver too. Speed in the second segment is covered by professional road racer Patricia Fernandez. Yes, she's a very fast lady. This, however, isn't the typical road racer interview. TJ chats with Patricia about the challenges facing a woman entering any male-dominated sport and what it takes, both physically and mentally, to compete at the professional level. Patricia is a real road racer. That is, she competes not just on closed circuits, but also on the streets and country lanes of tracks in Ulster Island and other European venues. It takes copious amounts of courage to race at 200 miles per hour on public roads, yet Patricia has the mental attitude and the skill to do it well. She's a beautiful woman inside and out, and her story is well worth listening to. I hope you enjoy this episode. So you got to ride the the uh, the new Triumph Speed Twin. What did you think of it? Yeah, it's the the new 2022 for the U.S. market uh, Triumph Speed Twin, and they did some pretty significant updates to it that have just improved it a little bit and sort of made it a little bit more stable, given it a little bit more mid range. Just that that little extra step on a bike that I felt was quite good initially when it came out. Just a just a couple years ago uh, so yeah it's it's a very very fun little standard bike where, where does the speed twin fit in the range uh, i know about the bonnevilles you know the t100 and the t120 with sort of different size motors where does the speed twin fit into those so the impetus of the speed twin is to offer something that's a little bit more approachable for the average rider because if you look at the entire range of triumph's uh, modern classic lineup you have the T120 and T100, like you said, the standard classic Bonneville bikes. And then previously, before the Speed Twins existence, you had something that would jump towards the, the Thruxton series, which is your classic cafe racer style bike. Now, some people felt that the Thruxton is a little bit too committed, and it is a very committed riding position, whether you're talking about the standard Thruxton or the Thruxton R. But this bike sits directly in between them so you get a little bit of the thruxton personality with that more sporty nature and then you also have the utility and the usability of something like bonneville and we should also note that all of these bikes are iteratives of the bonneville itself so they do share engine chassis um, there are just some some updates to to the the chassis to to make it you know, more suitable for this purpose. Okay, so this is essentially a Bonneville with some with some nice tweaks, and presumably it has the larger Bonneville motor in it, or the sort of equivalent of, which is a 1200 parallel twin. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. I mean, with, with everything in the modern classic line, it, it's always an offshoot of the, the Bonneville, you know, T100 or, or T100 to some extent. You know, depending on the bike, they do extensive changes to that. Um, just as a as a quick aside, you know, when I think about the Scrambler 1200s, they they do share engines with the T120, 
um, uh, with some updates and changes for its specific purpose. And you know, frame components are reminiscent of, but there are serious changes between you know the Scrambler and the Bonneville. The same kind of concept applies here as well. So. The frame is updated for this purpose. Uh, it has a, an aluminum swing arm as opposed to a, a steel swing arm on the Bonneville. Um, but, uh, and there's also new for this year, we have uh, Marzocchi uh, upside down forks, which really give the bike, you know, that was already a very stable, replanted little bike, um, just gives it more front end feel, just makes the chassis feel even more stout. Um, and yeah, it does share the T120 engine with a handful of updates. So they've reduced internal inertia by 17%. It's now Euro 5 compliance. It has a new fuel map in it that gives it a little bit more peak horsepower. So Triumph is claiming a couple more peak horsepower up top. I think their specific number is like three, something like that. Um, and Apparently peak torque is coming in at 500 revs lower at uh, 4,250 RPM. Nice. So with that, you get a little bit more mid-range power and torque. And that's something that the bike was not lacking uh, when I first rode it a couple of years ago. You know, like, like all the, the T120 engines, you just get this really kind of soulful, just very sumptuous bottom end torque great mid-range and this thing will pull all the way up into its uh you know upper rev range but really uh, it, these aren't the type of engines that that sort of egg you on to do that you just get in that nice mid-range wave and just use all of that torque to kind of power in and out of the corners and, and that's what it's really about for me with this motor yeah i haven't ridden a speed twin but i've ridden uh both sizes of bonneville fairly extensively and uh i have to say the 1200 if you come across some twisties, the bike handles really well. Um, the <laughs> the engine is as sporty as you like. You know, if you want to want to rev it up and rev it, it, it does rev very well. And and the the low center of gravity really seems to to help the handling. It's just a super easy bike to ride. Really confidence inspiring. Is that I presumably the speed twin is this is that, but on steroids. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good way to describe it. I mean, the one thing that Triumph does really well uh, from my perspective is they always bake in this very sort of uh, uh, foundational user friendliness in, in all of their models. And I think the Bonneville and all of the iterative Bonnevilles uh, take that to an, an, the next step. So like you said, the, the Bonneville T120 is a very approachable machine, low center of gravity, just you know all the horsepower that you could ever need for the street. And never really gets out of hand but it, it's always there so you can always have fun and it's it's always calm and approachable when you need it but also spins up and does whatever you want when you you know you want to have a little bit of fun in the canyons um and then when it comes to handling you know the t120 has always been a you know quite a good bike in that regard the speed twin kicks it all up a notch whereas you know the thruxton like we mentioned before it's a very committed riding position this still has a, a riding position that's uh, reminiscent of the T120 and you just get a little bit more of it. So the new Marzocchi fork just really increases the front end feel, in my opinion, because we're going from now a traditional uh, non-inverted fork 
to a a much beefier uh, Marzocchi fork, and and that just really kind of you know tightens the front end up. Beyond that, they've done a couple other little geometry changes, kind of tweaked things here and there, uh, which you can expect with getting a much beefier front end. But they've also given it um, uh, Metzler Racetech RR tires, which you know just to put things into perspective. That's the same tire fitment that we saw on the Triumph uh, Speed Triple 1200RS. So this is an extremely competent tire, if not racetrack focused tire. So I would put it up there with, you know, Pirelli track day tires, um, Dunlop Q4s, things in that range, you know, Dunlop Q3s, very sporty. In fact, it's probably a little bit too sporty for um, the Speed Twin in the sense that this is a street bike only, but you know, grip all day. So you have a, an aggressive profile, you know, grip for days. And then you also got um, as an as an update for the 2022 model year, uh, Brembo M50 calipers up front with 320 millimeter rotors. Whoa! So <laughs> they've they've really stepped things up here, and you know that's um, that's in the same direction when we think about the the Thruxton series. And the upspec models that use, you know, fully, you know, fully adjustable Olin suspension, M50 brakes, you know, they throw the whole kit and caboodle at it. The Speed Twin doesn't go that far, and that also keeps the price down. You know, importantly, we're just looking at something that's a little bit over twelve thousand dollars, whereas the Thruxtons can get pretty up there in price. Um, and uh, apparently. Um, you know, looking at the spec sheets, you're going to have to check with your local dealers, but the 2022 model is actually a few hundred bucks cheaper than the 2019 model that we originally rode. So not only do you get more stuff, but it's cheaper. Wow. And that basically never happens. That is unheard of. <laughs> wow. That's uh, really impressive because actually you beat me to the punch, but, but I was going to say the only problem with the Bonnevilles is... They're very confidence-inspiring, except they've got odd tire sizes or old-school tire sizes, I should say, and therefore you don't have the choice of rubber that, that you do elsewhere. And even if you could put 17-inch wheels and super sticky tires on, then you'd have ground clearance problems. So the sort of the Bonneville is what it is. It's an absolutely a great bike within its within its parameters, and I've had a lot of fun on them. And I think I've probably surprised a few people you know sort of uh riding it around but the fact that the speed twin has these 17 inch wheels and the m7rr tires on from metzler i actually fitted those tires a few years ago i put them on my jix a thousand and rode them around button willow and i gotta tell you they hung in there they were they were great i mean i'm not the fastest guy out there but I was running a group pace on on those tires so you can get something out of those tires no problem so that's that's very impressive that it almost begs the question to me that it, perhaps there's there's some sort of tuning potential lurking inside the motor if you've got that much potential with the brakes and the handling and the tires on the speed twin um i wonder what we could do to the motor to just eke out that little extra bit and uh you know and have some fun with it yeah i mean i, I think triumph is even aware of that i mean when you look at all of the, the different iterations of the Bonneville, um, 
we're, we're talking about uh, a bike that has sort of spawned you know, countless offspring with the, the Speedmaster, the, the Cruiser-ish one, so that one, the, uh, the Speed Twin, the Thruxtons, the Scramblers. You know, there's a lot of bikes under that greater Bonneville umbrella. And within that, all of them have their own little take on the T120 or the T100, whichever, you know, displacement we're talking about. I can think back to when we, you know, first did the, the current generation, the new generation of the, of the Bonnevilles that was in 16. That was the brand new parallel twin, 270 degree crank. And not only did it feel different from the previous generation, it felt like a massive step forward in terms of ride quality, build quality, the engine was just super soulful. Then when we went forward and started riding the other iterations like the Scrambler 1200, you could tell that, yeah, there is a lot of tuning potential there because they can radically change the personality of the engine, retaining that, you know, very classic Bonneville torquey, lots of mid-range punch feeling, but give it its own thing. So yeah, there's a lot, a lot to do here. And, uh, you know, on the off aftermarket side, the Bonneville has always been, you know, kind of a, um, a darling of the custom world. And in recent years, people have been really, you know, tinkering with these things. So yeah, you can, you can definitely get something out of these. And, and again, it, it's modest horsepower when we look at it in the greater scheme of motorcycles overall. But, you know, it's the kind of horsepower that people actually need and use and want. You know, 200 horsepower superbikes sound really cool on paper and they are very cool in racetrack settings, but for the street, stuff like the Bonneville just really satisfies. Yeah, I, I concur. Obviously a lot of the, the thing about this model is uh, the looks. Does it come in any kind of colors and the two-tone type of stuff? Have they done any cosmetic treatments for next year? Yeah, they, I mean, aesthetically it still looks pretty much identical to the 2019 version. Uh, if you were to just look at the main chassis area and the engine area, um, obviously the things that are really gonna jump out at you are the fact that it has now an upside down fork. Uh, it does, does have um, updated silencers. There's still that uh, classic sort of upswept cone style silencer, but they are new this year per Euro 5 regulation. So different emission stuff is in them. Um, you know, they did a couple little things to, you know, the accents. So uh, they, the headlight has a, a new kind of anodized component to it, uh, mud guards, things like that. And uh, it also has uh, 12 spoke wheels. And if I think back to the 19 version, I think those were only like five or seven spoke wheels. The wheels are also supposed to be slightly lighter, but, um, and 12 spoke aluminum wheels, not wire spoke wheels, but I should specify about that. So these are tubeless. And that goes back to a point that you brought up earlier with the Bonnevilles is that, you know, these are standard 17 inch tubeless tire accepting wheels. So you can do whatever you want as far as tire fitment. Whereas the Bonnevilles do limit you a little bit with the 17 and 18 inch wheels. So it still looks like the classic speed twin and, you know, classic Bonnevilles. There's three different primary color types. Um, the model that we have is, you know, the the you know, standard classic two-tone uh, Triumph uh, livery. So we have the, the 
the best one, the fastest one, the red one with the silver little stripe on the, on the fuel tank. But um, yeah, it's when it comes to looks, Triumph, I feel really does one of the best because they really do. You, you go through the entire bike and everything is finished and polished. You know, every fastener kind of has a purpose. Whereas if you start going down the ranks and say, just look at a very entry level, uh, you know, whether it's a Japanese model or European model, if you just look at the very, the very sort of entry level motorcycles, fasteners start becoming utilitarian. It's the kind of, the kind of stuff that you'd find, you know, just from your random hardware supplier, right. it bolts things in, into place. But in this case, when you go up those, the, that ladder, you know, Triumph really takes the time to sort of machine every little bit and just make everything very eye-catching and, and interesting. And that's what I really appreciate about this brand because you get on the bikes and you're like, you know, kind of no one does it like this, you know, unless you're paying serious money and then the top dollar BMWs and Ducatis, and, you know, top dollar Hondas, Harleys, those really jump out at you. But Triumph pretty much does it for all their bikes. Yeah, they really do. Okay, well, it sounds like uh, like you've really enjoyed the bike. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's funny because we're getting more for less because the MSRP has dropped a hair, but you're getting a lot more components for the money. You know, um, another quick thing that they did is uh, they updated the riding modes. So now each map has a specific personality. You know, you have your road, sport, and rain mode. Sure. And I would say the one criticism I have is that the sport mode is just hair on the too aggressive side. When you're in the canyons and you're actually, you know, using those big throttle openings, it's not a big deal. But at those lower paces and those those kind of minimal urban uh, throttle position openings, it's it can be a little snatchy. So you know, road mode is a bit better there. Right. But again, you know, like like I said, you're getting the updated fork. Um, yeah, and you have just beefy M M50 Brembo brakes, sure. along with the the updated uh, rubber. You know, it's it's given it just that extra little pep in its step. And uh, overall, this bike has is just continually impressive to me. You know, if you're looking for a standard motorcycle, the Bonneville might be a little bit, you know, too sleepy. But you want something classic. This really checks all those boxes. Um, you know, so you get a lot of the utilitarian things that you get with a Bonneville, you know, upright riding position, very easy to use, low center of gravity, handles well, stops well, goes well. And, uh, you know, it's not as committed as the Thruxton. So it's really that sort of Goldilocks uh, bike in the Triumph lineup, right? I take it no traction control, but, but obviously it will have ABS. No, it does have traction control. Oh, it does have traction control. Wow. Yeah, yeah, all of the modern classic bikes or the the big bikes, I should say. So, anything uh, derived from the the T one twenty all have a TC. Oh, that's impressive. So, in in this case, not IMU supported. That's all well and dandy. Sure, but um, great little street bike. TC doesn't conflict, and you know other technology niceties. It's got a USB charging socket under the seat, so you can stuff your phone under there and charge it up while you're going. But um, yeah, it's, you know, again, it's just a very cool standard roadster bike. You know, if you're looking at stuff like the BMW R9T, you know, things of that ilk, this is going to fit in, you know, right in there. Just a great all-rounder, 
with obviously the retro looking cool that that retro cool look that really really does set things off but uh you don't have the uh, reliability issues and what have you so you've got modern machinery that looks like you know old cool old old school steve mcqueen cool sounds awesome oh yeah sounds awesome yeah, yeah. all right yeah, for sure hey thanks i appreciate the insight that's awesome good talking to you cool thanks all right cheers speed in the second segment is covered by professional road racer patricia fernandez Yes, she's a very fast lady. This, however, isn't the typical road racer interview. TJ chats with Patricia about the challenges facing a woman entering any male-dominated sport and what it takes, both physically and mentally, to compete at the professional level. Patricia is a real road racer. That is, she competes not just on closed circuits, but also on the streets and country lanes of tracks in Ulster Island and other European venues. It takes copious amounts of courage to race at 200 miles per hour on public roads, yet Patricia has the mental attitude and the skill to do it well. She's a beautiful woman inside and out, and her story is well worth listening to. I hope you enjoy this episode. So you're a fantastic ambassador for women riders. And from what I can see, you'll race anything, which is really exciting. (laughs) You have a real can-do attitude and your racing seems so natural. Is it, uh, have you always been competitive from being a little girl? Yes, I've always been competitive, but I've never been in the motorcycle world. Like my story is a lot different than most pro motorcycle riders start when they're like four or five, you know. My parents never allowed me to have one. I always begged for like a dirt bike or anything and they never did. They told me probably what most parents say, if you're going to ride a motorcycle, you better move out the house and go get one on your own. <laughs> That's what happened to me. <laughs> like not under my roof, but I was always competitive. Um, my father was in the military. So I went to a lot of military schools and we would do um, like annual physical fitness conditioning and tests and stuff, you know. And I was the, I remember coming home crying one time. I was young to my mom because they wouldn't let me compete on the men's course. They were two totally different courses. And I used to think the men's course was way more fun or harder. And they wouldn't let me. So I came home crying to my mom. So my mom came with me to school the next day. And I'm not sure the exact words she exchanged to the coach or the instructor, but um, she ended up getting him to let me try. Like, what's the worst case scenario? So I finished the women's course. And then I competed on the men's course and I actually beat all the men. And I had to be like first or second grade, you know what I mean? But I've always been like, my parents um, never taught me that I couldn't do anything, but they always told me it might be harder for me as a girl. So I've always had that just tough work hard ethic, I guess. But the motorcycles definitely were later in life. Wow. Yeah, I had a, a similar thing. I wasn't allowed on motorcycles and I actually just yeah met a boyfriend up the road and off we went and uh <laughs> took it from there well yeah I rode on the back of a guy's bike before I learned how to ride myself so how long ago did you actually start racing so April 10 2010 was my first ever track day and then um I just started doing track days for fun I was just trying to build my skill level I guess go fast without getting a ticket <laughs> and then um within a few months by that summer, I had uh, 
competed in the little mock race you have to do to get your race license okay. at a track day. So I did that. So by that summer, I was already kind of, I did like one race weekend that year, 2011. I committed to the whole year as like an amateur, won a bunch of championships. 2012, I went expert, won a bunch of championships. Since the end of 2012, the last three rounds of the American Pro Series AMA, I competed in those. And then 2013 was the first year I committed full pro and I've been pro since, so. That's probably not as long as most of the races, you're, the pro races you're up against. No, not at all. Like to be at my level, you know, in hindsight, I probably should have stayed on that level probably longer maybe come come into the field and like be a little more competitive but at the same time I've learned so much and come so far but you know most racers like I'm engaged my boyfriend's a pro racer as well very good rider phenomenal but you know he's fourth generation started riding when he was four he went pro as soon as he turned 16 you know those are the typical guys that are out there on the field so to be out there and be competitive it's pretty cool when people find out I have such little experience it blows their mind but I mean women are tougher than men anyways and we're smarter so we just learn quicker <laughs> <laughs> you said it I'm with you yeah. there girl <laughs> um which is funny for me to say because I'm not actually competitive which probably strikes you as very strange but you know I think you either have that in you or you don't see a lot of females I feel like they are competitive but not necessarily in like a sports aspect because I know a lot of female entrepreneurs and like business women I don't know maybe competitive I call them competitive but they say they're determined or focused but when you just take like an unmovable force as like a woman that's determined to succeed at whatever she does you know but like when I see some women that are super successful in business and other stuff I'm like you're competitive you just don't realize it you don't have to play a sport to be competitive but if you want to be the best at whatever it is you're doing, you're competitive in a certain way. That's true. That's a good way of looking at it. That's true, actually. It's just different wording for still having that, the guts and gumption to do something and uh, just empower yourself to get, get going with things. It's true. And you um, raced uh, for, you raced the Moto America Superstock 600, mm -hmm. which is road racing. Um, and then you moved on to road racing which uh, surprises me that's a really tough sport um you notably were competitive in the Ulster Grand Prix which is the world's fastest road race uh which is based in Northern Ireland for those that don't know what attracted you to the road racing I was um racing when I first uh became a pro it was AMA and I was doing their super sport 600 same thing it was the same class they just named them different things series and it was my first year pro and I had just gotten a, like a email, a Facebook invitation from this team in Ireland. And they were asking me about actually coming to do, I did the Sunflower at Bishop's Court, which is a big race they do in October when all the BSB guys and stuff come. It's on a circuit. It's not a road race or anything. And I looked up, you know, the team and they were legitimate. I didn't want just some random guy trying to get me to come to a foreign country. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely took my boyfriend with me at the time. I was too scared to travel alone. It was my first international race. And um, while we were there, you know, they were taking us out being good hospitality. And they were like, oh, have you ever seen like a proper road race? And everyone's heard of like the Isle of Man and stuff. And they took me around some of the old courses that are no longer there that were really scary and sketchy and narrow. And I was like, no way I would ever do this. 
but then they took us around in the car at the Ulster Grand Prix and I was like I think I could do this and my boyfriend at the time he was a pro racer was in the back he's like you're crazy I would never do it oh really I was a pro (laughs) racer and he doesn't want to do it I feel like either you want to do it or you don't just a big Mm. risk factor involved and I just I just got a bug and so that whole trip for like the next two weeks I just kept bugging the team owner to let me ride on the roads and I think it was more so they were confident in my abilities as a rider but they weren't for I think a female to go road racing there's a bigger fear aspect if something were bad were to happen and so finally I just being the stubborn woman that I am I'm gonna do this one way or the other so the best thing you can do to keep me safe is make sure that I'm on the a proper bike I said but if you don't do that you're gonna risk me going to another team and you'll never know if I'm on a good bike or not so how are you gonna feel about that and he just was like so pissed at me <laughs> <laughs> that's excellent because he knew if I was going to do it they wanted to make sure I was on the best bike as safe as possible so I got what I wanted that's fantastic <laughs> so I started doing it and obviously it's even now I say I don't go 100% I say I go like 90% um, but it's definitely a learning curve it's not circuit racing and to get out of your mind you know like literally apex the tree hit the hedge you know go over this and I remember even still since the last time I did it, the first few laps, I'm like, what is that? And I look besides the roads and it's like people laying as close as they can get to the road without being on the road. I'm like, oh my God, there's people right there. But you have to kind of like take me a lap or two to just, oh, it's a rock. It's a rock. You know, like get it out of your head. It's, I think the fans are crazier than the racers, to be honest. Yes. But it's, um, it was just something I was, I have that attitude. Like obviously I'm racing baggers now, but it's, for me, I'm always willing to try anything. It's, I don't know if I'll be good at it, but I'm willing to try it. And my personality is I would rather try something and say I tried something I didn't like it or wasn't good at it. At least I tried it. And then I knew versus not knowing if I would ever possibly be good at it. Yeah, just have a go. Yeah. That's a good, a good attitude. I did, I did um, read on, on one of your posts that you are just happy to race anything. <laughs> so it was funny. Once um, it was announced this year, I found out I was going to ride a bagger uh and I started getting interviews and stuff I told everyone I go I feel like you're once a racer always a racer I would race an ostrich or a unicycle like I don't care <laughs> like if I was out on a unicycle I'd probably ride by myself but if you put someone next to me it becomes a race you know <laughs> I feel like once you're just competitive you're competitive and it's kind of fun to try new things because it's I mean it's new and exciting it doesn't make everything so mundane you know even a sport bike, you know, versus a dirt bike, everything. It's kind of all the same base skill set, but to go really fast, it takes differences. And I kind of like, you know, building up like that dynamic ability to be able to ride anything. Yeah, it sounds like you you sort of, you eat it up. You can learn quickly from what you're experiencing. It sounds like you've got that sort of mentality. Well, obviously you've got a strong mentality to be able to focus enough um, to block out, looking at the road racing again, you know, the, the close, everyday object dangers because I guess that's the main thing with road racing you have no runoffs and you've got to learn about manhole covers and that sort of thing whereas um, when you have a track it's it's a completely different mentality but I guess you you if you if you are that type of person then you're going to learn quickly and be able to race pretty much anything you put your leg across or I don't know if you've raced cars but I mean it sounds like it's all all on wheels so far no ostriches involved yet (laughs) No, not yet, but, you know, never say never. <laughs> I say it enough. I think they do race them. Yeah, road course is definitely different. I think that's why they say it takes 
you know, when I went over there, they say it takes five years to learn a road course. And I was like, no way, you know, but the circuits are always so long and you really don't get a whole lot of time, uh, which is why like the best riders, they have a lightweight bike, a 600, a super bike. They have so many different bikes just to go out there and get as much seat time as they can. And uh, I learned a lot of that. But then also it's like you said, a circuit, if you're riding on a circuit, it's either all dry or all wet. Road courses are so long. It could be wet here. It could be dry there. And then with the trees and other things, it could be, you know, staffy in one spot. And it's a complete, every track is completely different, whether it's wet or dry. Because like you said, like the manhole covers in the rain are dangerous <laughs> or the paint or certain things, but in the dry, it's fine. So you have to, there's so much more to learn, you know, than a circuit is on average, what, nine to 13 turns, you know, it's not, you know, the Ulster, I believe is nine miles, but I've done Armoy and. I've done the Northwest 200, you know, they're just, it's so long. You think you get a 30 minute session, but that's only a couple laps. So it's difficult. Wow. And do they prepare the roads at all? Are any of the white lines and things, zebra crossings covered or painted over or anything, or it's just bam, it's a road. They do their best for safety. Um, like I know I've done the Ulster the most out of any of them and I'm close with the organizers, but they'll start about a month ahead of time and they work with all like the local um, people that own land to remove fences or any of like utility poles or things that can't be removed. They do a lot to put padding up and um, to make sure nothing happens and road markers or indicators uh, the best they can to make it as safe as possible. Still a road course. It's always, I have some, I have some photos somewhere, um, but you know, there's still cars that ride on it. Even if we ride it, from 10 to 5 that day as soon as we get off cars come back on it oh really so it's always the first sessions of the day that are really terrible because all the rocks will come up and hit you and I have one photo and went all the way from the knuckles of my hands all the way up my arm and my chest there's just these purple bruises from when rocks come up and just hit you oh goodness. and the ones on the fingers are the worst but uh it's just nothing you can really do about it you do your best to get tucked in but there's just certain things that make it crazy but also make it a road race so it's kind of a yeah. you just have to carry on um do you find other competitors when when you've been in those situations and i guess you're there for some days beforehand getting ready and other people have experienced the the, the racetrack or the road racetrack um are they helpful to you do they give you pointers your other competitors you might have more experience at that track everyone's extremely friendly and really nice to one another I feel like it's just a little bit more respect we all have for one another. We're kind of all going out there giving the same risk factor versus on a circuit. I find there's more competitiveness in a negative way or kind of rude to each other, not quite as much respect. And also kind of being a girl, all the guys are always willing to help me or want to come over and talk, mm. <laughs> you know, especially when I go overseas. You know, for the most part, it's Brits and Irish guys <laughs> and stuff. And it's funny because they say they love my accent and I just die laughing. But they're always very friendly. So I've never had a problem getting any help. <laughs> but I'm also the strong minded person where I'm always willing to ask for help as well. Like if I'm having trouble shift points or certain markers, I'll go up and ask someone for help before I wait for someone to come up to me, because especially when time is so precious on a road race where you don't get much I don't want to waste any so I'm definitely always been strong-minded where I'm always willing to ask for help but they don't have any problems helping me <laughs> love it um do you uh, when you get on compare road racing to uh, track racing 
are the teams that are working with you bigger or about the same? I'm just wondering if once you get onto track racing, what we see from sort of, uh, on television, that sort of thing are, you know, the, the garages with the loads of people working all around you. And I don't imagine it's like that on the road racing. So do you think that adds, is that the case? Do you have bigger teams when you're, road, when you're track racing? And do you think that's partially what makes it maybe a bit cooler with the interaction and help from other competitors? I would definitely say it's like bigger teams, but maybe more of like a money type thing because there are bigger teams and more competitive on, you know, to thousands of a seconds or tiny little details of like setup or other things. And when you've been to the same circuit more than once, there's so much data or information or rivalries, I guess, um, attitude. I'm not sure what's the right word I'd be searching for, but there's big brands, big money, big company sponsorship into like a series like that not saying that there's not in road racing there are but I feel like so many people there's just such a big risk factor in road racing road racing you know something were to go bad you know people pass away and get injured that even like the teams and sponsors that I race for they're always just like have fun be safe you know they're not necessarily like you better win Mm -hmm. you know we're on a circuit you do get a lot more pressure but they put so much pressure on your rider, but I don't think they're used to experiencing loss the way the road race community is. So even though there are sponsors, everyone's just so happy to be a part of it. Yeah. That as long as you finish, they just, they're happy and it's a good time. Like, of course we all want to do well. We're all racers. We want to win, but that's the biggest thing for me that I don't experience pressure in that way as you do the road race or excuse me, circuit race. And I feel like once sponsors put pressures on riders your attitude does really change because then you're thinking about that it's not as much fun it becomes more work and I think that also can change your demeanor when it comes towards other riders and it's like working in an office versus working on a farm I guess you know like one's a little more laid back or chill and the other one's very yeah uptight I guess it's interesting it's like it's also focusing it more on you as the rider and really it's the whole team I mean so much goes into winning that race or being up there and I suppose in your mind then if somebody says something like you've got to do it it's all down to you of course it's pinpointing the pressure I know like on a road race there are still bigger teams but um I think it's limited to like two crew guys like you can have out like it's more restricted for space you know versus you go to a circuit has these big garages and big parking lots and everything I can have 10 crew guys do you know what I mean where a road race is more restrictive and you know when you have the big teams and the big sponsors you have a data guy a chassis guy a suspension guy you know you have all these different guys working with you so you yes. know like you said um you know teams win races not riders I think some riders do forget that because I could be the best rider in the world but I don't have a good team behind me not just mechanically but for me, it's also more of like just an energy or a vibe you get from your crew. Like I've noticed when I work with mm-hmm. guys that are just really happy and happy to be there and having fun or just, it's like a good energy versus other people that are real negative or put that pressure on you or are concerned more about talking bad about other people instead of staying positive. I notice it right away and it does affect me like I don't enjoy it as much I'm sure other riders experience the same thing yeah it's interesting from um I I never raised myself as I said but from a spectator's point of view it is mainly television but the more bits and pieces you can glean and you get comments from various knowledgeable people on Twitter and this that and the other more you can put a whole picture together whereas 
when I first started watching racing, it was just cold, you know, who's a winner and who's not, and God, they're rubbish and they're not. But the more you look into it, and so the more knowledge that we, the audience, can get, that's why it's great to speak to people like yourself, is, is useful to kind of give you a, a good picture of what's actually going on. It's not just a fast guy or girl and then, you know, the slow bee at the back. There's so much that goes into it. Yeah, I remember when I first started going pro and social media, it's very important now to racing. It is marketing. It is, you know, you could have a rider that's faster than another rider, but the slower rider has a bigger social media. They'll get sponsored first. It's just the world we live in now. But I remember when, mm. you know, years ago they were telling me about it and teaching me about it. They were like, Cause I would just, I wouldn't say I'd be cold, but just more like gray stuff or facts or whatever. And they're like, you know, what builds a strong following base is they got to get to know you. Like they got to know your personality. You got to be like, be yourself type of thing. I get, they call them like cult followers. Like you're really loyal fans. They feel like they know you or they're a part of you. They're like, if you just kind of come off, like you're on, you know, plane all the time. They're like, I mean, people might follow you. They're like, but they don't get attached to you, I guess. And I've also learned a lot, yes. like rivalries are really good for our sport. Like that personality, I guess, if you like one racer and you know, I hate this racer, then you hate them too. Or it makes good racing, like a good show. Do you know what I mean? Like racing is a show, but when people can start learning personalities, because obviously being within the paddock, I know who I like and I don't like, <laughs> you know, I know people's, some <laughs> of their real personalities, but with social media and, you know, getting to know people, if you just you know, be your authentic self and let them know it kind of, you know, brings a larger following and fan base. Cause I know, have you ever seen that show on Netflix, Formula One Drive to Survive? Yes, I have. That's brilliant. They get real personal with all the drivers and I know about Formula One, but now I like really get into it just because I know some of the riders more. That's it. Racing is racing type of thing. Like when you see them get real mad when they pull a dirty move, like I can relate to it. So because it's more relatable, I do get more involved. So I do like fans getting to know people more. I understand what you're saying, Patricia, it's because we watched it. And before, yeah, I watched Formula One and loved it. But once I'd seen that, they were like, I had ownership. They were my boys. And there was this one and that one. <laughs> you sort of got emotionally involved in why they were feeling up or down. And, you know, you saw them sort of giving each other the elbow and having a chat in, you're like, off race. Like it's crazy. People think racers are kind of like robots. Like we go out there and race you know, most people that aren't involved in racing and racing is racing, whether you race go-karts, you know, horses, motorcycles, cars, like once you're a racer, you're a racer, but it's like, there's so much emotion involved, you know, any sport, you know, especially with the Olympics, like people can understand, uh, like a gymnastic, you know, Simone Biles just went through all that stuff or a, a track runner. If something's going on in their personal life or whatever, it's like they're empathetic towards them, but it's like racers can't ever they don't treat us kind of like the same. And I like, you know, there's so much emotion going on, not only just your personal life and your team dynamic, but it can affect your mental game like so much. So, you know, I kind of like people getting to know someone more or less because then maybe it makes them understand a little bit more, treat us a little more human than like robots. I mean, I know that I'm riding a machine, but we're not all machines. So it's, <laughs> I like the connection. Yes, yeah, I think you're right. I'd like to see that drive to, drive to survive involved in the motorcycle world that would be fantastic they're supposed to do one about MotoGP. i'm not sure if it's just talk but i would love for something like that because MotoGP is kind of on the same level where there's not that many people in it so you could follow it easier if you were to go to like 
BSB or Moto America, there's so many teams and so many more riders, it's a lot harder to follow. Yes, yeah, that would be great. Um, apart from your mentioning of being more approachable as a female racer, um, are there any other sort of experience you've had that makes motorcycle racing different for women to men? Well, usually I'm the only girl. There's, I've only a couple times in ever was there another girl, and especially on like the superbike, I've never raced another female on a superbike overseas or in America. It's always been kind of been the only one out there, but um, it was definitely more negative at the beginning. I feel like, but I, at the beginning when I first started riding, there really wasn't any females, and I feel like so many guys dismiss you like you're not going to laugh or just they don't want you there because a lot of male egos can't handle a female being out there getting beat you know um definitely now I feel like the negativity has gone down it's still there but I feel like I'm respected a lot more just because I've kind of proved myself and had to earn my right but being that female like when it first started it was mostly like no one knew I was there and they'd be like a fan walk and then there'd be little girls like oh there's a girl here you know, and then it became, you know, guys like, oh, here's my girlfriend. She's never seen a girl rider. And then now like other racers, because racers, so many racers are dads. They bring their little girls to meet me. And, you know, like women, young girls that want to ride or women that want to ride or women that ride on the back or it's so crazy. Cause I mean, I love it. I love fans. I, I get so much stuff made to give away to kids. And like, I love the engagement and talking to people. Um, I feel like I'm a little more aware versus riders that have been racing since they were like 16 you know um sometimes I don't feel they appreciate fans they kind of get a little more ego they've been doing it for so long where I still feel like I am a fangirl which is why I appreciate fans like when I was first road racing I was running around getting all the Dunlop and like autographs and hickeys and all that and like they're my friends and they were laughing at me because they're like <laughs> I remember like Gary Dunlop was like, I'm right. You're faster than me. Like, why do you want my autograph? I'm like, cause you're Gary Dunlop. And they were make, kind of making fun of me. Like, cause I was kind of a fangirl, but uh, I've had the moment happen to me. I'm not going to name names where it was before I was a pro racer, but I went to a race and I was really excited to meet someone and they were such a jerk to me and it completely changed. You know, what's the saying? You never meet your heroes type of thing. And it completely changed how I thought about mm -hmm. them. And I remember vowing, like, I'll never treat someone like that. Because someone, it could be like, you know, they dream just to meet you or talk to you for one minute. Like, you could change someone's life and just appreciate fans or what makes the race, you know. Or So I always am really, really nice to them. But I love seeing being the only female, you know, even guys I'm racing against want to come up to me to, like, take their daughters to me or their girlfriends to me. And I really like that. I like that. I can just be an ambassador for such a wide variety of women of all ages. Yeah, that's marvelous. And being an inspiration to, you know, younger people, because we always need younger people coming into, into motorcycling. Yeah. In all aspects. It's one of those things where you don't know, like a young girl, I've met tons of other like young girls that maybe ride dirt bikes or something, but they've never seen a professional like female out there. And it just changes their mentality. I feel like once you see it, then you know you can do it too. Yes. So it's really cool to see. And I feel like now, like there's not nearly as much of a sex gender kind of bias. Like there's not as many women in racing, but there's so many young women out there racing now versus when I was doing it, there really wasn't when I first started. I feel like there's so many men now that have daughters and you just let your daughter go racing. It's not like, oh, women can't do that or 
you know, like a gender kind of bias thing anymore. I think our world's kind of getting over that. So I feel like every year you see more and more female riders in the sport, you know, on a really good level. And I just think, you know, over time, like in the next 10 years, there'll be even more, which will be awesome. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. And now you're racing baggers. Um, For those that don't know, these are modified street bikes basically and it could be said that king of the baggers which is the title of the racing is like a a pure american legend because it's happening right now and you're out there racing these street bikes Um, and you're a veteran of road racing and being chosen by the saddleman team to pilot the indian challenge in the bagger racing league and you're the first female bagger racer lots of firsts for you yeah (laughs) now what it is definitely a very Americana thing to be racing baggers. <laughs> I really don't like baggers are very American anyways. I feel like a lot of other countries or places, motorcycles are a little smaller and nimble. They don't make quite the regular journeys that we do, like big long distance journeys, so which is why we have more of the bigger bikes. So to be racing something that is not meant to be raced is definitely interesting, but they're huge, like stock they're normally over 900 pounds. And so the Indian actually has to be a hundred pounds heavier than the Harley because it's a liquid cool motor. It's a little nicer motor. So I am on the tallest, heaviest bike on the grid and I am the smallest person. (laughs) (laughs) Absolute scariest thing about riding that thing is just holding it up on the grid because I'm so short. I'm on one tiptoe of one side and I'm holding 700 pounds and I'm terrified I'm going to drop that thing (laughs) before you get going and also I've seen you landing when you come into land you have to well have little helpers because you've got to get butt off and one toe down otherwise (laughs) it's all going to go over it's pretty bad the first time I tested it I tested the Harley Saddleman um has had a Harley built first and then they added the Indian which is you know they added me but I got to go out and ride the Harley and I've never ridden one of these bikes, not even for fun, never on the street, like never. <laughs> and I didn't commit to racing it. Cause I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to be good at it. Like the, what I was talking about earlier, let me try it, but I don't know if I'll be good. I was expecting like the worst and it actually, every lap was just dropping time. It wasn't nearly as bad as what I was anticipating in my mind, like what I built it up to be. It was just about getting comfortable. It's still hard. It's still difficult, but it wasn't miserable. I guess, you know, like it was doable. I could see, Oh, I can, modify my riding maybe I can go faster but um I almost dropped it leaving like they had to get me out like I couldn't like do it and then when I was coming in it took four of them to catch me I slowed down and I lifted up my helmet and I was just screaming catch me catch me like (laughs) I couldn't because now at least I've practiced enough where I can stop it and put my foot down like to start the race but that was the first time so I didn't even know what to do my feet were just dangling in the air and I was like catch me like (laughs) I did not want to drop it like the first time I ever tested it and they were all dying laughing because they were all clapping and cheering and then they all freaked out to try to catch me (laughs) I almost gave all the mechanics a heart attack but uh they're pretty good now they I have at least two guys every time I come in to catch me so it's kind of nice You've trained them well. It's it's an awesome spectacle to yeah. watch because you're a small bod on these big bikes and you're sort of moving all over. It's incredible. I implore anybody who hasn't seen the bagger racing to watch. It is so exciting. And to watch yourself, you know, you're just, like I say, moving all over those. It's, it's a lot of work, man. I'll tell you what, and it's funny because the first one I did 
was actually, um, there's two competitive series in the U.S. There's the King of the Bagger with Moto America, and then there's a new Bagger Racing League uh, organization that's doing it as well because it's so popular now. And my first race was actually the Bagger Racing League in Utah, and I was just dying laughing because I scraped everything on those bikes. Like, I mean, the both bags, the underbelly, the engine casing, the exhaust. I have three bikes now. I've scraped so much stuff off of them. I'm building a little bit of a reputation for myself. <laughs> for myself. But the first time I went out there and, you know, I had to modify my um, fitness routine to race super bikes because so much different than a 600. Uh, being a female, we have naturally stronger core and legs, which is primarily what a 600 is. And the first time I ever raced a super bike was in Australia at Phillip Island. And my first qualifying session, I came in and I was like, I can't lift my arms. And they thought I was joking. Like, I literally couldn't lift my arms to take my hair. It required so much more upper body strength, which I wasn't used to. So I had to change and develop my body and become stronger to race those type of bikes. But when I got on the bagger and I got done, I was like, man, I'm really sore. Like, just in different spots that I've never been sore. And I wanted to make sure it wasn't just me. And I walked up and down. And I'm talking about pro superbike racers, pro flat track riders, everyone that was there riding every single one of us was sore like the best of the best and I was laughing because it's just like you can't train for it like unless you ride them you don't know what you're doing it's like totally different muscle groups because you have to ride different to race those things it's not they're not meant to be riding it's pretty funny I wanted to make sure I wasn't the only one that was beat up <laughs> and not only are they just heavy but because they're so wide like a sport bike is made like the tank's kind of at like a V so you pivot around it. You really don't move a whole lot to get the bike to lean because they're meant to lean. They're meant set up and designed for you to race them and do what we do. These are not. They're square. So you don't really pivot. You have to completely shift your whole body all the way over from one side to the other, which is a lot of work when you're going fast and you're throwing around 600 pounds because all that momentum and, you know, the faster you go, the heavier and faster the bike feels. So it is just, it is an intense workout. Wow, that's great insight. I mean, I wouldn't even pick that up just from watching, but now that you've said, yeah, of course. Gosh, hard work. <laughs> and what actually qualifies a bagger in the King of Baggers or now, now the league? Is it just having luggage? It's a standard bike with luggage? So it has to be a motorcycle that's sold as like a bagger, the Hardly Road Guide, um, Indian Challenger, there are restrictions on, um, I don't know 100% all the technical, but right now it's just Harley and Indian. Like I know Honda Goldwing and some of the other Asian manufacturers, I think the rules are set up. They're trying to keep it more American right now. Cause I think, you know, like a Honda or some of the Goldwing or some of those other ones, I think would be amazing to see out there racing. Um, I'd hope one day they'd open up the rules, restrict them a little less. So maybe we could get some Asian manufacturers. But, you know, baggers started in America and they're, that's kind of an American thing, but um, they're motorcycles that are sold stock with bags. And uh, the rules obviously are modified for racing to make them a little lighter. And I say <laughs> a little lighter from 900 to 600 pounds, but um, there are rules about like the size of the bags. They have to be so big. Like you can't modify them and just put like a little right. per handbag purse bag on there. I believe they have to be big enough to fit like a briefcase. Like they're pretty large uh, on the sides. Um, the Saddleman team, they were, they have an amazing like race and development department. And um, like that whole back section is a solid carbon fiber piece. So I can't like open it and function it. 
like a, a normal bag you could open up, but it's to try to shed weight on them as much as you can. But the size is still there to, you know, it affects you when you're turning and cornering. You still have that weight you have to throw around. And if you have a chance to be on the seat, I guess with Saddleman, who are well known for their gel comfortable seats, fantastic product, then at least you've got that bonus. <laughs> I, it was kind of funny because I told everyone, um, it's pretty cool. The I told a lot of people the bagger community reminds me a lot of the road race paddock because it's more of a community it's not a competition does that make sense now i know that we are competing on the track does. but the bagger community is so small like basically everyone uses each other's parts and it was so cool to me because the only other time i really experienced the camaraderie that i did was when i had road race where you know there's a fueling team or a saddleman team or a harley team but they're all coming to each other and checking on each other and talking to one each other because everyone's running each other's parts or everyone's trying to help each other out, you know, and it was really cool to me because that's the only other time besides road racing where it was like, oh, I've experienced this before, but it made it more positive and more fun. And, you know, like Saddleman loves it, but probably 80% of the people out there had Saddleman seats, you know, on their bike. Saddleman was, is cool. They have a race development building separate from where they just do their general manufacturing and all the racers were sitting in to get cut or made for racing like different than you know you would a street bike and it, they were just helping out all the other teams you know they weren't even you know doing it for profit and that to me is like a camaraderie that you can't pay for you know that's just like a, a cool community type thing that I, I love the energy of being part of that team and knowing that I think they're just looking out for the best of my well-being but other people too and I I just like that a lot but I, I had a really good plug. I got interviewed on TV before my first race in Utah. And I said, you know, the rider that's most comfortable goes the fastest. And with my Saddleman gel seat, I sure am comfortable. And they were all just laughing because it was a great little kind of cheesy plug. But <laughs> I got to race the Indian FTR 1200 at Laguna 2 in the hooligan class. And they put a custom gel seat on it for me. I'm not going to lie. It was really comfortable. <laughs> I was like, I could cruise on this thing, like out <laughs> on the street. Like I really liked it. I've only had stock seats on, you know, any of my street bikes or anything else I ride. That's not a race bike. And I actually liked my gel seat on my race bike better than my street bike. <laughs> <laughs> you can really tell the difference. <laughs> yeah, you really could. That's great. It's great to hear that, you know, you've got that atmosphere going on as well. It's sort of like the good old days as opposed to when it all becomes so commercialized that nobody cares. It sounds like the Saddlemen are a great company to be involved with. They are phenomenal. The owner's great, really involved. I, I love everyone I've worked with from the company, but it's the, I think the Bagger Racing League, it's new it's different, but it's kind of like a little niche community. Like everyone kind of knows each other because bagger people are bagger people, you know, yeah. and it's new and exciting to bring new people into a sport. that are excited about racing again, not like some of the sport bike teams I'd raced for before. It's almost like it's old news. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm not saying it's not fun and exciting, but the same mechanics that have been doing the same thing at the same tracks for years and years, it's, their attitude is different than, you know, the bagger guys. They're just like so stoked and excited. Like, oh my gosh, we're at Laguna, you know, and I'm like <laughs> giggling because I've been there a bunch. But to be around that energy, it's like, you know, like a little kid gets excited about the smallest things. And like, just to be around that energy of like, I'm so happy to be here. We don't care what happens. Like it's, it was all just so positive. I really liked it. And these are modified machines. What sort of top end, what sort of top speeds are you reaching when you're racing the baggers? Uh, you know, the, 
racetracks that we've been able to go to, or excuse me, that I've gone to so far and race the bagger, they don't really have like super long straightaways where you're doing flat out, like see what the top speed is. I want to say we were doing right around 140 at Laguna, like high 30s, um, right around there, which might sound fast to some people, but for me, I'm like, yeah, that's not fast. You know, 200 <laughs> is what you'd be doing, close to 200 on the super bikes, you know, probably 160s on the 600, 160s, 170s. So um, we're slower than a sport bike, you know, but it's crazy because last year at Laguna was the first ever bagger race and they thought it was just going to be a exhibition race but it had like four million views in like a week so I think that's when everyone knew it was going to be a thing and so then obviously this year is the second time we raced Laguna but my times this year at Laguna I would have won the race last year by over a second like how fast I was going I was doing it like a minute 37 the person that won it last year won it at a minute 38 but then they were going six seconds faster they were doing a minute 32s so just to see the development of these motorcycles within one year, just within one year mm. to shed six seconds off of the time, like that's incredible. Six seconds, that is a huge difference. I mean, that's astounding. It was funny though, because I was like, I should have won it. I would have won it last year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would never see that in, you know, sport bikes or anything, but there's so much data and they've been doing it for so long that it literally comes down to the thousands of a second modifications of what you can do where these are all completely new. So there is no data. There is no notes. There is, you know, we don't know what to do. So every time we go out, we just gamble and try something to see if it's better or not. You know, we just, there's, there's no data. So it, it's kind of, it's good and bad because part of me gets really excited to develop something and learn something. Like I'm learning with my crew and it's all exciting to be a part of something new. But then, you know, the racer kicks in and I get pissed that I'm not fast right away, you know, where <laughs> if I was on a 600 or a super bike, I have all the notes and data so I can set it up pretty close and just go out there and be fast and competitive right away where this takes a little <laughs> more time. So part of you gets frustrated and then the other part of you is like really excited. So it's interesting. It is. I mean, from the audience, for our listeners and from the audience point of view, I think the reason this bag racing is so exciting and you, you had 4 million viewers, did you say, for that first sort of showcase race is because it is tangible because these are motorcycles that we can actually see ourselves on and not that I would be going anywhere as fast as you guys and girls. But um, I think that's that's what makes it uh, so popular for the for the audience, for the spectators. Oh, 100 percent. I said that after my first event that we did. But um, the first event, and I got to ride that Indian FTR 1200. It's like a naked street bike as well at Laguna. I got to ride the bagger and that one. But it was crazy how many people were coming up to me. and was like, oh, I own an Indian or I ride one of these or I have, this is my street bike. Like you said, relatable. It was extremely relatable. And other people, you know, I've always heard of the Indian Harley feud, but I've never owned either one. So I've never really been attached to it. And it is a serious thing. Like it was so funny because people thought you know, that I was going to like hate Harleys. I was like, I love everybody. Like, I don't care, you know, <laughs> but um, I really liked how relatable it was because most people don't own, you know, a $30,000 super bike or most people don't own most of these sport bikes. They're cool. But even me, I don't ride them on the street. They're uncomfortable, you know, like don't want to be leaned over and whatever, sitting in traffic in one of those, but all these cruisers or street bikes or um, naked bikes, baggers, like this style this genre of motorcycles so many people own one and it was crazy because at Laguna all the races that they've had the baggers at have been record high attendance rates 
and have had the bagger races have had three times more views than even the superbike races. Like it's huge, wow. super popular. But um, like when we were at Laguna, we went and looked in the crowd and there's, you know, hundreds of bikes that, you know, people that come to watch. And most of them were all like baggers and cruisers and choppers, that style of motorcycle. And we were laughing because we had never seen that before at a, at a circuit race. You know, you see sport bikes or whatever. And we, it's just bringing this whole new crowd into racing. And even if you bring, you come to watch the bagger race, you're going to watch the other races too. And you're going to learn about it or buy a t-shirt, support the sport. Like, I think it's incredible that it's just bringing in all these new people, but it was amazing just to see all these people and for them to relate to you. It was really, I've never experienced that before. So it was really nice. And a good all-American feel because they are two, you know, the, at the moment it's it's Indian and Harley Davidson, as you say, and they're two big cult following motorcycle brands. Yeah, big. And it's the Saddleman team. We're the only team that had two motorcycles that were opposite. We're the only team that had a Harley and an Indian. And there were only mm-hmm. two Indians out there. It was only me and another, or excuse me, three, me and two other guys, but there was mostly Harleys out there. And so it was funny because I was a girl my my boyfriend's on the Harley we're dating but he's a guy I'm a girl Harley Indian and we don't like I said we weren't attached but so many people were like are you guys gonna fight we're like no we're not gonna (laughs) fight you know my goodness you lead a complicated life (laughs) I know right but it was uh I mean we smack talked a little bit just because it was fun but it wasn't I guess die hard serious but it was just cool to meet so many people that were I mean, if you're like diehard or committed, even if it's a brand, then you just love motorcycles and just to be there and be a part of racing. It was so, I met so many people from that genre of motorcycles that had never been to a circuit race before. It was a positive new energy. And I really, it was, I'm so happy I was a part of all of it. Yeah, that's awesome. And when you were about to actually start the race and you're on the grid, do you have any mantra or do you listen to music I see some of the MotoGP guys with their earbuds in earpods how do you prepare for that last moment before you take off so everyone uh, that works with me about 20-30 minutes before the race starts everyone knows to leave me alone that's when I go in the trailer and I do listen to music and I, I stretch or I'll warm up you know like get that's my own time I used to have a problem um there's a lot more fans overseas in road races. And if I went in the trailer, you know, they'd come knock and be like, oh, someone wants an autograph or someone wants this, pulling you away. And I had to put my foot down to be like, I need, like, I'm here to do a job. And this is so mental. You have to give me this time before the race. And like, I love fans. And so I would tell them, please come back afterwards. I'll, you know, I'll talk to you. I'll sign whatever. I'm like, but I just, you know, you got to respect this time, my time. So I have to be a little affirmative about, this is my time. So I warm up like jumping jacks or something like different. Um, you don't do static stretches, but well, you kind of like move and stretch. I get nice and warmed up and listen to my, my music to pump me up, you know, like get motivated. And I start doing laps in my head. I start going over my brake markers or where I'm going. Like in my mind, I'm doing like race laps of everything I'm going to do. I'm going to hit this mark. I'm going to downshift. I'm like, I'm just, that's all I'm doing in my head while I'm getting ready and uh, I guess we kind of all have a little routine about how we put on our Under Armour and our suits and everything else. And uh, th- then a couple minutes before, obviously, the closer you get, you got to turn the music and stuff off. But in my mind, it's like sunglasses on, it's like straight face, and I'm just doing laps in my head. And you go out. And so you just try to stay as focused as possible and, um, you know, as positive as possible. And then, you know, 
you get a really good warm-up lap like the parade lap and warm-up laps like I go like I'm gonna go like when I launch for my warm-up lap I'm launching like as if I'm racing like you got to get in the mindset and ready to go now the only thing else compared to racing a bagger is when we stop is like I just try not to drop that bike <laughs> I'm just like don't drop it don't drop it don't like and at Laguna they had a little bit of a delayed start and I was we were out there for a little longer and my poor little leg was shaking I was like I'm gonna lose it but um once the light goes off and we get a go I'm fine I'm a racer again it's a little hard because I'm so far on my left on one leg when I start the bike actually curves to the left and then I have to jump back on it to get it to go straight it's quite an interesting sight <laughs> when you're waiting waiting like that you're, you're likely to get a cramp when you've got one thing in place I was my left calf started cramping because I had all my weight and when I say on my left foot my foot's not even flat like I'm on my tiptoe because I'm so short so it's basically all the weight of everything was on my left calf and it was hot out and everything else and it was just started like my um crew chief that was there said he could physically see my legs starting to shake before they turned the light off like for the start lights went off I was it was getting intense I was like oh my gosh what am I gonna do do you know what your inseam is I'm five foot two when we got to ride the baggers we went to Sturgis this big rally and we got to ride them again it's not nearly as bad when you're in like jeans and shoes because you can move around but when you're in leathers and like race boots um, race boots are designed for protection so you're not supposed to have a lot of flexibility but when you know when I'm in my jeans and like regular tennis shoes I can point my ankle down that makes sense so when I can point my ankle down you can use more of your foot or reach the ground quicker but when you're in a race boot that doesn't allow much flexion you have to lean over more because you can't point your foot down to hold on to the ground wow yeah it makes sense um, and I'm going to move swiftly from your inseam measurement or your height and segue into your fabulous figure because you do have a gorgeous body and luckily for us you share your bikini shots on Instagram and Facebook which which you know we all love well I do a bit of a girl crush and what's um your sort of workout routine daily if you have one or do you sort of go out jogging do you swim do you I am a, I do love I live in mountain bike heaven I live in the mountains of Arkansas and I do enjoy mountain biking very much but that's more of a seasonal sport like in the summer right now it's miserable it's too hot there's spider webs you know everything else I love working out at a gym I love yeah. resistance training like weights or bands or I love my boyfriend makes fun of me he says I love picking up heavy stuff and putting it back down <laughs> I really do I love it so much <laughs> um I do enjoy cardio as well but for me um if it's not mountain biking I, I have a peloton at home I enjoy to ride I think I enjoy the Peloton because I'm still racing. Like it's so competitive because you can see the stats of anyone that's like ever done it and you can see how you rank. So for me, I kind of enjoy it because mm. it's like I'm racing someone even though I'm not. But I would say I do more um, like resistance training and interval training, like high intensity, maybe lighter weights, but keep your heart rate up. And I try to do that about three or four times a week. Yes. Uh, there was a time when I was doing like six days a week all the time, this, that, or another, and, um, found out I've worked with a lot of really good trainers and therapists and other people trying to, I'm always at the mentality to learn and get better. And I was overtraining for a long time, um, where now I do, I work out less often, but they're really effective workouts. And when I try teaching people, um, 
I love how many people reach out to me, especially females, not just about riding, but someone that wants to get into shape or work out or anything else like that. And I tell them all you need is like two, maybe three days a week. If you did a really good, like involved weights, so many females are so scared that if I lift up this 10 pound dumbbell, I'm going to turn into the Hulk. Like, no, that's not what's going to happen. It is so incredibly hard for women to develop muscle. And even like myself, like when I get real strong, if I don't keep that up, you know, you lose it right away. Our bodies aren't really meant for that. So, but it really brings out that nice tone and definition. Mm. And, uh, I try to stick with that or try to help teach people that like, if you burn or build muscle, you burn fat 24 hours a day versus if I go out and run, I only burn calories when I run. And as soon as I stop running, my body stops burning calories. Right. But if I took that 30 minutes to an hour, instead of just going for a run and I went in and, you know, did some weight training or doing whatever, um, my body's going to burn calories for days afterwards, just because of how much energy it takes to repair them. And so learning about that, I've changed a lot, but I really enjoy weight resistance training. I love mountain biking and I love, I'm a big fan of like yoga and stretching and stuff. Mobility is really important into racing. We have to be flexible. You have to be able to move. We're in very unnatural, uncomfortable positions for a long time to go racing, to be leaned over. And all you have is your one foot you're putting weight on and stuff. If you're not flexible, you know, it, it makes things more difficult. So definitely mobility training is important in what we do too. Yeah, everything has to be effective. And I guess you need to be flexible also in case you have a twist or a stretch or you do come off you, that helps with injury. Um, reduce. It does. It helps with energy, but also like people don't realize it's just kind of like lifestyle. Like I kind of pick on people that say they lift heavy or do something, but they only go like halfway down when they squat or something. But if you think about your everyday activities in life, like you've been down to the ground to pick something up or you reach up high to do this, or you reach over to grab something. Um, when I started racing, I was having problems with like tightness in my back or other lower back or certain, when I ride, just a lot of the racing positions aren't natural or if you don't do them a lot. And I started realizing that it's just so much goes into flexibility of everyday living. And when I started, I originally started trying to become more flexible or mobile for racing. And then I noticed it made so many other things in my life nicer or more natural or easier and it prevents it can help prevent so much energy injury so it's not just about you know if you can pick up something heavy but you know staying flexible while you do it so it's I would say a good four days a week is what I try to work out with but I do I like to stretch like for a few minutes every night and stuff if you keep yourself fit you do tend to then do other things that are it's sort of one thing leads to another because you then have the energy and the fitness to go out for a walk or do something instead of sitting in front of the tv the whole time you sort of one thing leads to another and you you end up with a better lifestyle if you keep yourself fit it really is an addiction like the endorphins and all the positive energy you get when you work out or that feel good mood and when i had a transition to resting more and not working out because i used to be like six seven days a week hardcore you know whatever and when i started getting that influence I had to rest more it was so hard for me to rest like I was going crazy you know like I was like I gotta do something but like you said it is a even on a day that I rest like I'll take the (laughs) dog out and go for a walk for you know a couple miles or enjoy other things where like you say you just stay active it turns into a lifestyle and you know nutrition like don't get me wrong I love bad food (laughs) stuff that's not good for you but I just don't eat it as often and I found you know, when I transitioned away from eating a lot of bad food, 
when I do try to eat it, I don't enjoy it as much. Like my stomach will get upset or it doesn't taste the same. Like it's too sweet now. So what becomes a guilty pleasure wasn't nearly as bad as what it used to be. So you do kind of change and develop it, which is nice. But I, you know, I enjoy staying active one way or the other, even if that's just walking my dog. <laughs> and what's your dog's name? Chewy, like Chewbacca. Chewy. So I'm a, I'm a big Star Wars nerd and he's brown and fluffy and he definitely looks like a Chewbacca. So I keep picking on my boyfriend. I tell him I get another one, a black one and name it Vader because <laughs> I like it so much, but he's a great dog. He's only 30 pounds. He's a cockapoo. So he doesn't shed, but he stays in the van, travels all around the country with us, flies in the plane with me. He's a perfect size dog where he he can get around, but he's not too little. So I enjoy it. Has he been on the motorcycle with you? Do you have a road bike? Do you ride on the road? I do. I do have a street bike. Um, so I have this backpack where dogs can get in the backpack and they put their little feet on your shoulders. So they're looking forward. So <laughs> I, um, since he was a puppy, I wanted to desensitize him to motorcycles and he's so used to them now. He enjoys them so much. I feel like I almost did it too much. If he hears a motorcycle coming, he gets all excited because he thinks it's me or my boyfriend and he'll like run or run outside or go straight up to it. He'll chase me in my yard when I ride my dirt bike and stuff. He has no fear of motorcycles. And so I've carried him on the bike or put him in the backpack and we've gone on uh, shorter trips, nothing long, but he'll come on the backpack on mountain bike rides, on the bicycle, on scooters. Like he doesn't care. He loves it. But um, my next street bike, I want to get maybe either an adventure bike or something a little uh, me and my boyfriend want to do like long distance trips, like maybe go to Canada or something. I want to build, um, well, especially like Saddleman and a lot of other companies, they make like luggage carriers, but they're for dogs. So it has a little hole so his head can stick out. But then if he got tired, he could lay in there and hang out. So I want to get one of those and maybe do a long distance trip with him. Oh, he'd love it. I'm sure. Awesome. Yes. I always say my ideal situation would be a motorcycle with a sidecar and I could put my dogs in the sidecar because I see especially with social media like people that have their dogs in their sidecar and I'm so jealous (laughs) well my boyfriend's like they're so horrible to drive like having a sidecar I've never driven one but I just think it looks cool yes at the risk of riling some audiences is it is it a motorcycle any longer once you've got the one-sided sidecar on the street yeah I would do it for my dogs (laughs) (laughs) No, you'll just have to have a backpack each, I'm afraid, if uh, Vader ever comes to be. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Or I picked on him if I could build like a trike, but instead of the back being all big and luggage, it would just be like two or three dogs yeah. lined up. <laughs> and he, I don't know if I would enjoy riding a trike either, to be honest. I've never ridden either one, but he just laughs at me. I just coming up with an excuse to have as many dogs as possible. <laughs> <laughs> So just a couple of more quick questions. I've taken a lot of your time and I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Um, do you have a favorite bikini or favorite style, halter neck, triangular? So I like the ones um, that are adjustable. So the one that goes like behind the neck or the ones on the side that have like the strings where you can adjust them because I am athletic, but I'm still curvy. Like I have hips and a booty and, you know, a butt. And I don't feel like women are so beautiful in so many shapes and sizes. And we're not all the same. So I get frustrated, you know, there shouldn't be just one size hip for one size. You know, I like having the strings so I can adjust them because even the most beautiful flattering woman, if you don't wear a bikini that fits proper, it could look unflattering, you know? So um, Mm -hmm. I just like any of the bikinis where I can adjust them to fit 
I want them to hold everything in, but I don't want them to be like, I call it like the, like a biscuit can where your skin squeezing out or it looks like a, like a, like a pop biscuit can. Oh, yes. But uh, so anything adjustable is what I like. If you could um, go back to the young Patricia Fernandez and say something to her when she was sort of just setting off, have you got any gems you would share? Anything you would have done differently? I had good influence from my parents, but my biggest thing, I would just be like, don't listen to what other people tell you type of thing. Cause I had so much negativity and granted I was an adult when I started racing, but probably even till the bagger thing, people were telling me I wasn't going to race the bagger, like even until recently, but so many people told me when I started doing track days, I was never going to be fast. I was never going to be a racer. And then when I became a racer, I was never going to be successful. You were never going to go pro. You're never going to get like so much negativity is so many different ways, every way, shape and form. And there were a lot of things I had to learn the hard way. You know, I'm so grateful for my personality. A lot of my personality has been developed from going through very negative, very hard situations where no one could influence me or relate. There was no one I could ask for advice, what I was going through, basically being a female, being put, so put down in a man's sport of what I was trying to do, where, you know, in hindsight, it was, they were scared of me and I could do it, but it was a lot more difficult. So if I could come to any young female or even myself, I don't care what it is you want to do. You can do it, but you need to stay focused, stay committed and like trust yourself. So I'm not, nothing, it's not going to be easy. Like I'm not saying anything is going to be easy, but you, you just have to really not listen to the negativity. Trust your, your instincts. Yeah. Just stay focused and work hard. I'm going to circle back just to wind up to um, King of the Baggers and, and the Baggers League. Motor America, well, I hear rumors that they may run the 80th Daytona 200 and a King of the Baggers race at Daytona International Speedway. Do you know what's coming up for 2022 yourself? You're going to see the Baggers at Daytona. <laughs> I'll let you know that. It won't be um, It won't be the 200, like the endurance race. It'll be a sprint race. But um, the Daytona 200, all the pro races go on there but only the 600 race is the endurance race the safest bikes to do the endurance race on um so they will be there they will be racing i believe the bagger thing isn't something that's going to go away anytime you know originally they thought it was going to be an exhibition race and to see the attention it got it became a series this year not even just one series now there's two organizations doing it um and i know that both of those organizations are going to continue for next year and there's going to be more racing so i predict just more baggers on the field um there are a lot of talented ladies out there I would love to see another lady out there riding um I'm not sure if we'll see another female on a bagger but um there are other classes like the twins or the hooligans some of the smaller cruiser style naked bikes and I would like to see some females competing on those the bagger is definitely a lot a lot to handle but if you know, I could see some more ladies out there. That would be great. Yeah, that would be awesome. Well, we look forward to following you and the Saddleman team. And thank you so much for having a chat with us today. Having me, it was great. I appreciate it.